Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet, that's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and Game Sense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Gym Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Now here's a highlight from Coast to Coast AM on iHeartRadio. And welcome back to Coast to Coast. George Norrie with you. Christopher Dunn, engineer with decades of experience. He was recruited by an American Aerospace company back in 1969 and began as a skilled machinist and toolmaker and has worked at almost every level of high-tech manufacturing from building to operating high-powered industrial lasers, including the position of project engineer and a laser operations manager. His Pyramid Odyssey began in 1977 when he read Peter Tompkins' book, Secrets of the Great Pyramid. His immediate reaction to the Giza Pyramid schematics was that this edifice was a gigantic machine. Discovering the purpose of this machine involved a process of reverse engineering that has taken more than 24 years of research. His latest book is called Giza, the Tesla Connection. Christopher, welcome back. It's been a while. It has. Thank you very much, George, for inviting me. And I've got to tell you, every time I talk about the pyramids, your name comes up from the guests that you are highly respected, and, and they all talk about you. Well, that's very nice of them. I, uh, I definitely appreciate that. Uh, the, uh, the subject of the, the pyramids and Egypt has always been a huge fascination around the world. And, uh, <clears throat> the subject of, uh, lost technologies or, uh, civilizations, lost civilizations who were more advanced and, uh, had much better tools than what uh, we find in the archaeological record has has increased in uh, in interest uh, many people uh, throughout the world. 
Back in 1998, uh, Christopher, you came out with an incredible book called The Giza Power Plant, where your theory was that the pyramids were literally power plants. Tell us a little bit more about that. Yes, that uh, the Giza Power Plant had its... Uh, I, I started studying the pyramids in 1977, uh, and Peter Tompkins' book, he asked the huge question, he asked the question, uh, was there a lost science uh, in, in, in ancient Egypt and something that we have not been able to figure out? And his entire book, Secrets of the Great Pyramid, uh, was focused on uh, <clears throat> actually uh, expanding on that question and, uh, and introducing different researchers over the centuries who have actually asked the same question. So throughout the uh, throughout his book, you learn uh, you learn about different researchers who propose different purposes for the Great Pyramid, such as um, the question: Was it a geodetic marker because of its prominence and and its uh, size? Uh, was it used to actually lay out the land? Um, the other one was, was it a, <clears throat> a, a granary? Um, and uh, another one was, was it, was it used to, as a, an observatory because of the, the shape and angle of one of the galleries, the Grand Gallery on the inside of the Great Pyramid? And then uh, other, other uh, speculations about whether the dimensions of the Great Pyramid had some significance, which, as we find out, they do from a scientific and technical perspective. But there was one group who was actually uh, studying it and applying dates uh, given in the Bible for certain activities to measurements within the Great Pyramid. There's a group, uh, they, they call themselves pyramidologists. Yes. The... Uh, and it was uh, so. It has been long, long a, a subject of, of speculation and wonder uh, about what it may have originally served to uh, served to do. But one of the things that uh, is prominent is the the question that uh, whether it was actually used as a tomb, and and that even though that is the official. Uh, story that we that we learn when we're in school, and the one that holds force today in academia, the um, the tomb theory is become has become less and less uh, prominent or less and less uh, popular as more information about the Great Pyramid is is uh, revealed. A lot of space for a tomb, wasn't it? Well, it's. I mean, the uh, if you look at the schematic of the uh, the cross section of the the uh, Great Pyramid, and there is a a, a uh, an image on on Coast to Coast website that shows the schematic. Uh, I call it the schematic of a solid state power plant, but you can see that it really does not resemble any any building that would <laughs> involve constant human activity or even uh, a, a, a tomb because of the, the, the shape of the shafts 
doesn't fit in with the uh, the the concept of, of it being a tomb. Christopher, when the book The Giza Power Plant came out in 1998, how was it received in terms of your theories? Well, I think, uh, you know, people generally, I was very, I, I was quite pleased and surprised uh, that it was received positively by a lot of um, engineering types um, and technical types. Uh, <clears throat> Uh, obviously, it was ignored um, by the uh, by the established Egyptologists, and so it wasn't received at all by them. But the uh, for the most part, I, I thought it was it was fairly uh, fairly well received, uh, much better than I expected. Uh, so um, I felt you know quite pleased with it. But you know, I mean, uh, the tha- a lot of thanks to. Its reception uh, goes to people like you and and other hosts who have uh, di- taken an interest in it and discussed it on their media outlets, which is, uh, has kept it alive. And <clears throat> and surprisingly now, we it was published in 98, and here we are 26 years later. And it's still uh, cooking. It's still... Uh, it's still uh, out there, and the publisher is supporting it, and, and you know, new printings are, are done, and and so that is that that is uh, quite quite remarkable, really, for a you know a uh, well, what well, people might consider to be a fringe book, but the yeah. and so you know, I mean, it's it's doing extremely well, um, but the. Uh, you know the the interest in it, and also in, in the Great Pyramid, and the the uh, information that has been revealed since the publication of the Giza Power Plant. Um, it brought me to the realization that I really needed to write a sequel to it uh, <clears throat> because there were some quite remarkable activities that were going on in the. Uh, I'd say around in the late 2010s, uh, the like 2015 to through uh, 18 and 19, there were some uh, remarkable activities that were revealing more information about the Great Pyramid. Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Signing up and playing is so easy. Simply sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you can get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matter more than ever. Place your money line, prop, and parlay bets with the king of sports books today. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets. If you don't win your first bet. That's right, up to $1,500. Again, sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. 21 plus in President, Ohio, subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. That's 1-800-GAMBLER. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher. I'm so excited to tell you about the brand new series of The Girlfriends. 
In season one, we told you about the murder of Gail Katz at the hands of my ex-boyfriend, Bob. At one point, a woman's torso washed up on Staten Island and was misidentified as Gail. She spent nine years in Gail's grave, and then she just disappeared. It's almost like it's become this moral obligation to find her. And that's what we're going to do. Find this missing girlfriend and tell her story. With the help of some of your favorite girlfriends from season one, like my producer, Anna. Oh my God. My friend, Dr. Mindy Shapiro. Hi, it's Dr. Shapiro, and I'd like to speak with the deputy medical examiner. And of course, Gail's sister, Elaine Katz. Having no closure, it kills you. Join us as we try to solve a 35-year-old cold case. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be one hell of a ride. (gasps) What? I can't believe this. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. This is Neil Strauss, host of the Tenderfoot TV true crime podcast, To Live and Die in L.A. I'm here to tell you about the new podcast I've been undercover investigating for the last year and a half. It's called To Die For. Here's a clip. All these girls were sent out into the world and they were told, try to meet important men, try to attach yourself to important men. The voice you're hearing is a Russian model agent telling me about spies sent out to seduce men with political power. The war in Ukraine is also being fought by all these girls that are all over important cities. For the first time, a military-trained seduction spy reveals how the Russian government turned sex and love into a deadly weapon. If you want to kill your target, it's easy. You just seduce him, take him somewhere, start having sex, and then he's very vulnerable, so you can kill him easily. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, you called the new book, Giza, The Tesla Connection. Tell me about the Tesla Connection, poor sir. Yes, I mean, the uh, I, I call it the Tesla Connection because when I... Uh, when I wrote the Giza power plant, the the uh, the concept that I had as far as the the uh, energy generation uh, was kind of limited to the king's chamber and the the granite in the king's chamber, and so and I was looking at the shafts that were leading to and from. Oh, from the, the king's chamber, uh, which is a you know a central a chamber in in the uh, in the pyramid, um, that that's where the energy was generated, and it uh, and it was directed through the southern shaft to the uh, to the outside. <clears throat> the uh, the introduction of new information from uh, Dr. Friedman Freund, who is a uh, a NASA physicist, um, he was doing um, research into earthquake lights uh, with the objective of seeing if it would be possible to predict when an earthquake was going to take place, because usually when the, uh, before an earthquake took place, he was noting 
that there the uh, there was a, the creation of earthquake lights in the high places around where the earthquake the set the uh, the ground zero for the for the earthquakes. Was he pretty accurate? Um. Yeah. Yes. I mean the. It, there was one um, place in Italy. I think it's called. It was called Killer. The um, the earthquake. There were earthquake lights in the hills around this town, and the um, uh, ten days ahead of the earthquake. So if if wow. if you would say that okay, the earthquake the earthquake lights appeared directly, or you know maybe up to ten days before. The the earthquake happened, and then they continued through the the event, and uh, and then kind of settled down afterwards. But the <clears throat> but the interesting thing about about his approach to it, though, was first of all, I mean, the he was using NASA satellites to observe the uh, the topography of the Earth, and uh, and so he was noting the. Uh, the lights uh, around that were lighting up, and then and then uh, monitoring the seismic activity in the area. Uh, at a killer, it it it, uh, it resulted in a huge earthquake that uh, where there was over three hundred people, uh, three hundred people who lost their lives, and there was quite a uh, quite a lot of consternation about why there wasn't sufficient warning to the population before the earthquake uh, took place. So, uh, <clears throat> anyway, so the, what he did, though, he wanted he, he wanted to find out what the source or, or what the physics was behind it and why these lights were, what was happening in the, in the Earth. Were these like plasma lights, Christopher? Sorry? Are they like plasma lights? Yes, I mean they were they they, they were like uh, you know the the, the martyr lights. Uh, you, you have these like ball lighting and uh, any kind of terrestrial light show that you see is caused by some activity where electrons are released within the Earth and flow to the surface. Right. So what he found in, through laboratory experiment is that when you put Igneous rock under stress. The uh, there is a there what he, what he calls dormant electronic charge carriers, and when you stress those, the rocks turn into a battery, and then these uh, positive holes will shoot to the surface, and they shoot. They go to the generally the highest place on the on the Earth's surface. How do they get through? Well, they just travel through the rock. Okay. Yeah, they, they travel through the rock, and the uh, and, and so that kind of coupled with the the energetic activity around the, the pyramids, which has been talked about for a long time, that the uh, there is a certain uh, energetic or electrical kind of phenomena around the Great Pyramid. And Tesla believed that there was energy in the atmosphere. That he would tap into, right? Yes, I mean uh, Tesla. The, the the why I included Tesla was because there were two technologies that he 
was working on. He had actually completed one or succeeded in one, and that was the uh, the earthquake machine. And then the other one <clears throat> was his Wardenclyffe Tower, which was never brought to completion. But the uh, the Wardenclyffe Tower was proposed to be able to. Uh, broadcast electricity wirelessly so that you could actually uh, receive it without having without having to uh, have a have a wire or uh, you know put it on a meter or anything like that he, he envisioned free free uh, power for for everybody so the uh, the interesting thing about the warden clip towers it, it has kind of like a a, a dome which radiated the radiated the electrons out. So in the case uh, of the Tesla connection, I had I proposed that perhaps you know with with the the uh, the igneous rock beneath the Giza plateau being stimulated to release those. Uh, dormant electronic charge carriers and and have them shoot up to the surface they they would actually be attracted to the to the pyramids and move through them and into the atmosphere and so um, then the the uh, they would be collected in a kind of a a dome a cage around the great pyramid and radiate out like a capacitor well, it'd be more like a uh, more like a, a broadcaster, right? So you have you have the electrons moving through the frame and then radiating out into the atmosphere. So they wouldn't necessarily be held, <coughs> uh, but uh, they would actually be broadcast. Now, how did they use this kind of energy? Yeah, that's that's always the big question, George. I mean, you know, and and they, I would say that they could use it for whatever they wanted to. You know, they they had the the ability to build the great the great pyramid. I mean, that pretty much they could do whatever they want. They and uh, I heard a a, a uh, architect. Uh, he he said that you know those those uh, the great elders of the Great Pyramid. They, they could build whatever they want, they could do whatever they want, because, you know, the uh, intelligence, the physics, the science that was encoded in the Great Pyramid is uh, so sophisticated that uh, you, you have to ask the question, what else did, was available to them? You know, we're just, we're just uh, left with the skeleton of a civilization, but what else uh, did they have? Listen to more Coast to Coast AM every weeknight at 1 a.m. Eastern and go to coasttocoastam.com for more. Hey, girlfriends, it's me, Carol Fisher, back with another season of the global number one podcast, The Girlfriends. Last time, we investigated the murder of Gail Katz. This time, we're uncovering the identity of the woman who was buried in Gail's grave for a decade before she disappeared. Join me and the rest of the club as we tell her story. Listen to season two of The Girlfriends, Our Lost Sister on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
I'm Scott Weinberger, journalist and former deputy sheriff. In my new podcast series called Blooded, I'm embedded in the cold case investigation into the death of firefighter Billy Halpern. Experience this investigation in a truly unique way, untangling secrets that may reveal the answers to not only one case, but almost a dozen. Listen to Cold-Blooded, The Apollo Gym Murders on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.